Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ali Roman Show. Should the British monarchy be abolished or should the monarchy be preserved as a symbol of the sovereignty and the unity of the United Kingdom? This is a question that a lot of the British public has been asking over the past few years and decades after a series of scandals has plagued the uh, monarchy. There was, of course, um, the life of Princess Diana, Lady Di, Lady Di, uh, how she passed away, uh, the question about how she was treated in the monarchy, by the monarchy. There was uh, Prince Harry leaving the monarchy altogether, hashtag Megxit with Meghan Markle, and all of the information that has become more widely known around the world related to the expenses of the monarchy, how much it costs to maintain the monarchy, how wealthy the monarchy is, and then what the cost is to the public. So against that backdrop, some of the articles that have been arguing for and against abolishing the monarchy have been published not only in British newspapers, but also in student newspapers like the Oxford student. And I want to look at this particular uh, piece from May 2023. It's been a year since uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away and Prince Charles became king. And two students here, I believe these are students, Leon Wheeler and Adam Arnfield, have written an article that reads, The Case For and Against Abolishing the Monarchy. Leon Wheeler argues in favor of the British monarchy's abolition, whilst Adam Arnfield highlights its contributions to the UK. This is kind of a common um, style of publishing articles in uh, the Oxford student. Uh, and there's the uh, Oxford student union debates where they will bring someone to argue for and someone to argue against some particular political issue, whether it's immigration, Brexit, the United Kingdom exiting the European Union. And let's take a look at a couple of these arguments made by Leon Wheeler in favor of abolishing the monarchy. Obviously, the most famous examples, the most famous arguments against maintaining a monarchy in England is that the monarchy appears to be outdated because in a world that has moved towards democratic societies, many countries believe that there should be no vestiges of this older style of leadership, that there should only be a parliament uh, and a court system. The, uh, the other argument, famous argument against monarchies are that monarchies are very expensive. There's a cost to the public um, and the idea that the wealth of the monarchy should be distributed uh, across public institutions like healthcare institutions and whatnot, infrastructure. So here is one of the arguments here. The UK, the UK claims to be the home of parliamentary democracy, but can it really claim to be a democracy when we have an unelected head of state? Leon, what's his name here? Leon Wheeler goes on to say, the principles of democracy argue that those governing and in positions of power should only do so with the consent of the governed, a principle that is significantly undermined when the main signature needed to ensure a law is enacted is that of someone whose sole requirement be that they are bo were born to the right person in the right order. All right, that's a very British sentence. So let's scroll down here. Um, here's one of the interesting arguments that this writer makes since 1967. So the, the writer does not like the fact that there are so many exemptions to the laws um, that the king and queen have. Since 1967, the queen and now the king, King Charles, 
has had exemptions written into over 160 different laws. The royal household is exempt from employees of the monarchy, from the, of the monarch. The royal household is exempt from employees of the monarch pursuing sexual or racial discrimination complaints. The monarchy is exempt from the 2012 Equality Act. Police and environmental officers are banned from accessing the royal family's private properties without first attaining permission. The monarchy is not required to pay income or capital gains tax, tax not even on private interest. And the monarchy is exempt from paying inheritance tax. This is only compounded by the fact that the royal family has the right to inspect legislation that may affect them and request alterations before it becomes public. So that's kind of interesting that you have, you have people in the United Kingdom, the monarchy, who are exempt from a variety of laws, including paying income tax and capital gains taxes. People pay capital gains taxes when they, let's say, buy um, a large number of shares of stocks and then they sell them a few months later for a profit. There's capital gains tax that they have to pay on that, which is connected with income tax. Here's a quote from the article. The very concept of the monarchy, especially in the form it takes in the UK, is an affront to the principles of democracy, equality, and individual sovereignty that our country has proudly boasted of. All right, so kind of interesting. Let's let's scroll down to look for any other arguments. So here are some responses to the case for abolition by Adam Arnfield. Number one, many of the exemptions which the royal family has from laws, such as the Freedom of Information Act, are exemptions they have because they are family before they are a business. The laws often containing the words in his private capacity. All right. Moreover, the queen voluntarily paid tax despite not being required to do so. Do so. Of course, some of the exemptions, such as from sexual and racial discrimination complaints, should not exist, but these can simply be removed alongside Charles' modernizing agenda. Abolition is not required. All right, so Adam Armfield is basically saying that in practice, the royals do follow these laws despite these exemptions, and Charles can at least be encouraged to uh, get rid of these exemptions without having to actually abolish the monarchy altogether. Let's take a look at this other argument here. Uh, the monarchy clearly does more good for Britain's reputation than it does harm. The outpouring of affection from across the world at the late Queen's death and the vast number of international visitors to her funeral are surely signs of that. All right, so kind of interesting. Um, so there's this idea that that uh, the monarchy has a positive effect on the reputation of the British people around the world and um, the idea that there's a positive effect of the monarchy on the government. Here, this writer writes, the prime minister must meet the monarch on a weekly basis, discussing national affairs and explaining their decisions. Regularly meeting with a figure, figure so there's the idea that the prime minister having these weekly meetings with the monarchy, that this is good. So he writes, regularly meeting with a figure who symbolizes the British people as a check on the prime minister's ego and a disincentive against corruption. Note that most of Boris Johnson's most outrageous scandals occurred during the 15 months where COVID present, prevented his meeting the queen. Without our monarchy, would our leaders go even further off the rails? Now, that's kind of an interesting argument, because if we look at this other article here, this other opinion piece um, in the Los Angeles Times by Tom Ginsburg, 
that's the same opinion he makes. He says having a king like Charles is a good defense for democracy. So the claim there is that uh, the monarchy can actually prevent individual figures like in the last article, the last article mentioned Boris Johnson. Um, the claim here is that having a king like Charles is a good defense uh, for democracy because it prevents individuals, whether Boris Johnson or anyone else from going off the rails, so to speak, and it prevents um, populist figures from emerging who can kind of mislead the public in some other direction uh, and become a kind of authoritarian figure. This is what Tom Ginsburg says. So let's take a look at some of his arguments here. As Britain's King Charles III is officially coronated, the empire, quote, the empire on which the sun never set is looking a little shabby. In addition to the United Kingdom, 14 former British colonies still maintain Charles as their monarch and head of state, but many of his subjects around the world are reconsidering that arrangement. And so the author here mentions Barbados, having done that, becoming a republic in 2021. Jamaica is in the process of doing this. He notes that Americans, formerly a British colony, um, find it unusual why, quote, anyone would have except hereditary rulers or why a purely ceremonial office has any value. But this is where the author here, Ginsburg, says constitutional monarchy is alive and well in some of the world's most developed countries. Uh, and it should only be jettisoned or abolished after careful consideration of its benefits. So here's what this, art, this author claims. He claims that... Um, he claims that these monarchies, that, in, that these monarchies can, in many cases, prevent um, countries from kind of moving in, a, in an unusual direction, like moving, for example, toward some sort of military junta, military junta. So, for example, here he writes, monarchs also provide a form of political insurance, being able to step in during periods of national crisis. He writes, a famous example is King Juan Carlos I of Spain who helped thwart a coup d'etat launched in his name in 1981. He went on television and ordered the armed forces to return to their barracks, even as he was communicating individually with key generals, which helped prevent them, the generals, from coordinating amongst themselves. So the author here is claiming that Spain in the 1980s, when Spain was having its transition to democracy and the king was stepping back from his role, the author here, Ginsburg, claims that um, here, the monarchy, the monarch actually played a key role in helping create, allow, facilitate this transition to democracy because he um, used his leadership position to push back the army from taking control of the government in his name and having a military government. So that's kind of interesting. This is basically a claim that monarchies can prevent fascism. And he claims the same, the author here claims the same thing happened with uh in during world war ii when norway's king uh stepped back um, and refused to recognize the government of a nazi collaborator the author goes on here to say that that um he claims he believes that figures like the hungarian king uh, victor orban um, or the head of poland or the head of turkey recep tayyip erdogan the author claims that they there would be a check on their power if there was a monarchy. Now, I don't know how true that is because in Turkey, uh, Turkish people thought that um, having a parliamentary system would be a check on any one figure having um, 
more power than the founders of the country planned. And in Turkey, there was a transition to a more presidential system where the president had the current president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has more power than previous presidents. Um, and that system is supposed to resolve some of the deadlock that happens with coalition governments in parliament. Now, the claim here is that if there was a king, if there were a king in Turkey, this would somehow be a check on both the power of the parliament and um, the president. I'm not sure how true that is, but it's an interesting claim. But here he writes, here he writes the author. So while Erdogan fashions himself as a new sultan uh, and Hugo Chavez, the last Venezuelan leader, like to invoke president for life, Simon Bolivar, it is difficult to see how a British, Danish or Norwegian equivalent could credibly emerge. This is confirmed by data from the Global Populism Database showing that constitutional monarchies experience less populist rhetoric in political speeches. All right, it's kind of interesting. Who knows how true this is? Um, he is a professor of international law and professor of political science at the University of Chicago. I believe he may have made this same claim um, in the Irish Times. Let's take a look at that. Let's see if he wrote this. In the, well, let's take a look at it later. But I believe he wrote this for the Irish Times. Again, this is, I feel like historians would, so he's a professor of international law and political science he's not a historian a historian would say this is a bit this feels a bit counterfactual um imagining that there were a monarch in a place like turkey or poland or hungary how this would somehow check the power of the president i'm not sure how true that is um because there already are checks on the power of individual figures like in turkey there's a parliament um likewise in any any system with a parliament like in egypt there's a parliament there's the military and um there is the president so aren't those checks already in place it's an interesting question and maybe the uk is a unique um situation uh partly because in the uk the pres the the, the monarchy has a reasonably large amount of support so maybe it's the case that in places like the uk having a monarch is a reasonable check on the authority of a prime minister or the parliament or any populist figure that might arise because the monarchy is popular. Uh, here's an article that argues that the monarchy is very popular. Here in uh, the Standard in the UK, there's an article that reads, King Charles and Prince William's coronation is a boost to popularity. Nearly two-thirds are happy with the king, and there is an 11% jump in popularity for the Prince of Wales, the survey finds. This is where you have to wonder how the data works, because other articles argue that um, the popularity of the king actually declined since last year. Let's take a look at some of the analysis here. King Charles and Prince William have seen a coronation boost to their popularity, a new poll has revealed. The Ipsos survey for the Evening Standard shows just under two-thirds of adults in Britain are satisfied with the way the king is doing his job, up six points from April to 63%. William has even seen an even bigger jump in his satisfaction rating, up 11 points from before the coronation. We see how the data works here. They're saying William's popularity is up from before the coronation. And then they're saying the king's popularity is up from April. But I believe since before the coronation, it's down. Um, however, the number of people backing Britain becoming a republic, so getting rid of the monarchy, hit 28%, a record for the 30 years. So that's up also. So why is the um, king popular? Well, it looks like from this article that there is um, that 
that the Queen of England was a popular figure and the King, Prince Charles, now King Charles, has inherited some of that popularity. Um, it writes here, uh, a head of political research named Skinner says, um, he's just saying that the Prince, that King Charles and Prince William have seen improvements in their public satisfaction. Uh, let's scroll down here. There's a few other articles that mention that um, that King Charles is a is considered to be a good extemporaneous speaker. So he speaks well when he communicates with the public. He does not suffer from the kinds of gaffes that many presidents around the world suffer from. Um, Scotland, 45% held this view. Uh, let's see here. 25% in March to 28% would support the country becoming a republic, so not having a monarchy. 45% held this view um, alongside Scotland. So let's take a look here. What is, what is it saying in Scotland? In London, 45% held this view, the highest figure among regions uh, alongside Scotland, with the lowest being in the south. All right, so I guess in the south of England, people are not as in favor of... Um, moving beyond a monarchy and becoming a republic. But in London, uh, there's more interest in people um, doing away with the monarchy. So kind of interesting. Um, some of these articles mention that that uh, King Charles is kind of reigning in, R-E-I-N, reigning in his um, public activism and activity, trying to make sure that his profile is not too controversial, um, that his that his activities are not spread too thin in terms of what his reputation is. Um, it says here, Charles and Camilla treated to Shakespeare performances at Windsor Castle. So the king remains a kind of public figure like uh, the Queen of England. He meets with the prime minister weekly. And, um, and I think a few other articles have mentioned that he has traveled around the world. Now, here's a question that I want to get into in the um, bonus episode, bonus content. Why is it the case that the UK, after the dismantling of the British Empire, after the British Empire lost its money, it lost British India, the British Raj, why did the British remain a monarchy? Why did they not uh, transition to becoming a republic? Um, the United Kingdom is a constitutional monarchy with a parliament. It's a democratic. Uh, it's a democratic system with uh, a king so much so that uh, this article argues that having a king defends democracy however um other places around the world like uh, the kingdom of egypt formerly known as the khadivate of egypt a khadiv in egypt um, the word comes from turkish hudav and in arabic khadiwi this is a kind of military governor. This is a dynasty in Egypt that ruled Egypt and Sudan uh, since the early 1800s. And the last of those monarchs was King Farouk in the 1940s and, and 1950s. In the 1950s, um, King Farouk stepped down and there was a, a revolution led by some military officers, which famously included uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser. And there's a question here, which is why is it the case that some countries around the world that famously had monarchies, why did they do away with their monarchies while the British monarchy remains in power? Why is it the case that Egyptians don't think that there needs to be a monarchy to, um, to, to hold on to democracy? 
if you ask, ask, ask many Egyptians, many Egyptians would probably argue that um, certainly today there are many Egyptians who claim that um, military institutions can defend, can kind of make sure that democratic institutions are functional. Turkey famously believed, Turkish people famously believed that many Turkish people throughout the 1900s, there was the claim that um, uh, the military def defends kind of democratic secular institutions. And yet in other Arab countries, Arabic speaking countries, you actually see coming out of the Ottoman Empire in the early 1900s, where there was a sultan and there was a transition to um, democracy in the late Ottoman Empire and also in the Turkish Republic. And some of the countries that emerged out of the Ottoman Empire, like Jordan, you actually see the emergence of a monarchy, which is kind of interesting. Um, so why is that the case? Why, why is there an emergence of, of uh, monarchies in regions um, like the Ottoman Empire, where other parts of the Ottoman Empire, like Turkey, moved away from monarchy-like systems? They, they did away with the idea of a sultan. Uh, or in, um, and likewise, in Egypt, there was a move away from having um, what was formerly an Ottoman um, Khadiwi or a Khadiv. Um, who became a king. So we'll talk about that in the bonus episode, but very interesting. And we'll come back to this question of whether the British um, want to abolish the monarchy, should they abolish the monarchy, and what the arguments are for and against abolishing the monarchy.